encourage you to take out your Bibles and be turning to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to put a marker there as we'll be spending most of our time in 2 Timothy chapter 1 this evening. The book of 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to the young preacher Timothy shortly before Paul is put to death. It is written somewhere in around 65 to about 67 A.D. And the main purpose of the Apostle Paul in this writing is stated in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 15, in which Paul says, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so the goal and the purpose of the writing of Paul in this text is to tell Timothy to be an unashamed worker. Well, chapter 2 and in verse 15 is the key verse, I believe, to the book of 2 Timothy. He first mentions this idea of being ashamed back in chapter 1. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so beginning at verse 8 and going through verse 14 of chapter 1, he's discussing the fact that Timothy does not need to be ashamed. But it's in this text, in those verses where he's discussing this, that in verse 12 he makes a statement well known to all of us. Which is why I suffer as I do. I'm reading in verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I want you to think about that statement with me this evening. Paul makes this statement here, I know whom I have believed. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the statement that is made by Paul and see what we can take from it and some lessons we can learn from 2 Timothy 1 and this idea of I know whom I have believed. As we begin to introduce the idea, we have to understand the purpose behind the statement itself. Paul is making a point to Timothy, as he is throughout this entire epistle, of a goal, and that is, do not be ashamed. Again in verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The goal and the purpose behind the statement to Timothy is, Timothy, you don't need to be ashamed. As was stated earlier, this epistle is written near the end of Paul's life, and Paul is very much aware that this is going to be most likely his last address to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, a verse well known to all of us, where he says beginning at verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. We'll talk later on about the rest of that text in verses 7 and 8, but I want you to focus in on verse 6 right now. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come or is at hand. Paul is very much aware that his life is about to end. And so Timothy, being Paul's son in the faith, somebody that Paul has, has mentored through the last several years, Paul has taught a great deal, Timothy, being a gospel preacher himself, is going to have to, to sort of pick up the slack, if you will. 
When Paul is gone, Timothy's going to have to work even harder to sort of fill that void. Timothy being one of the close companions of the Apostle Paul, and Timothy being, being very young, has to fill this void. He's going to have a lot of work to do in the kingdom, especially now that Paul is going to be gone. And it could greatly impact Timothy. Here is somebody, that this, this, Paul has referred to Timothy as his son in the faith. Or verse 2, the ESV says in 2 Timothy 1-2, My beloved child. Paul was like a father figure to Timothy. He was, he, he was the person that mentored Timothy. And so as Paul comes near the end of his life, and Timothy's very well aware that Paul is about to die for the cause of Christ, there is this fear by Paul that he could become ashamed. In verse number 7 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 7, we know the verse, probably know the verse very well. God gave us a spirit, some translations say not of timidity, or the ESV and the New King James say, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. I often talk about timidity with Timothy, but the word here means fear. Now I want you to look at the context of what, what he's saying. The next verse is going to talk about not being ashamed, but let's notice the context before we get down to verse 8. Backing up to verse 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's made the point back in verse 5 about Timothy, about Timothy excuse me. The point in verse 5, he's reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. A faith that is not accredited to the Apostle Paul, a faith that Timothy already had because he saw it in his mother and in his grandmother. So Timothy had learned from them. But later on, we see in chapter 3 how he had known from childhood the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse, and in verse 15. He'd been taught from a young age, and so he has this sincere faith, a faith that he learned from his grandmother and his mother. And so it's because of that faith that he has that in verse 6 Paul says, for this reason, that is because of the faith that, that Timothy has, knowing how great a faith he has, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, in this text, it's the gift that is brought on by the, through the laying on of Paul's hands. Paul being an apostle, it's probably in this context talking about a spiritual gift. But Timothy has to be reminded to use that. I remind you to fan into flame. Or, the New King James says, I want to, to remind you to stir up the gift of God. Timothy, you've got to use the gift. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, there was the gift that was he's talked about in verse 6. You need to use that. Remembering for, we don't have the spirit of fear. Use the gift that's given to you, Timothy. We don't have a spirit of fear. Therefore, do not be ashamed. 
verse 8. Because of Timothy's fear, and that it seems he's not been proper, maybe he's not using this gift and he's reminding him to use this gift, Paul seems to be afraid that Timothy could be easily ashamed. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed. If we had a spirit of fear, and not of power, and not of love, and not of self-control, then maybe there could be a cause to be ashamed. But because it's not of fear, but of love and power and self-control, there's no need to be ashamed. So Timothy, don't be fearful. Use the gift that was given to you, and don't be ashamed. Verse number 8. And so that's the reason behind this entire purpose of writing in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is Paul is giving his final exhortations to his son in the faith. He writes, as we've already stated in chapter 2 and in verse 15, don't be an unashamed worker. Look again in verse 15 of chapter 2. Do your best, the ESV says, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. If you're the proper worker and you're working as you should and you're doing your best, you're being diligent, then you have no need to be ashamed. So Paul's writing to Timothy, don't be ashamed, Timothy. There's no need to be ashamed. He's told him in chapter 1. And, and a purpose behind this is because there's a very good chance that Timothy is going to suffer as well. Go back to chapter 1. Notice again verse 8. Second Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When he's not ashamed, he's going to share in the suffering. But he might be reserved in not wanting to share in the suffering if he is ashamed. Paul points out later in the same epistle in chapter 3 and in verse 12, as he's talking about the perilous times, He's pointing out in chapter 3 about these perilous times that are coming, and he's really pointing out near the end you need to endure. And in verse 12, he says, Indeed, 2 Timothy 3 and in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live godly, you're going to be persecuted. He points out in chapter 3 and in verse 12. Timothy, make sure you share in those sufferings and don't be ashamed, chapter 1 tells us. What I'm learning in that is, if I'm not willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, then I, in reality, am being ashamed. Here's Timothy who's willing to teach the truth. Timothy is somebody that Paul has put a great deal of trust in, that he's going to teach the truth. He talks about how, how Timothy in some of his epistles, when he sends Timothy, is going to have the same love, care, and concern for them that Paul does. But if Timothy is afraid and he's not willing to share in the suffering, then in reality, Timothy is being ashamed. So the goal of this text in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is Timothy understand there's no need to be ashamed. And so let's look at some more at this text. Again, this text is one of the main ones in this chapter to point out there's no need to be ashamed. But we've already seen the goal and the purpose behind that that led to this statement, I know whom I have believed. But this statement itself is the reason not to be ashamed. The goal of this text is to point out to Timothy there's no need to be ashamed, but the reason to make this statement, I know whom I have believed, is to show that there is no need to be ashamed. 
Let's pick up in the text. Let's begin reading in verse 9 and let's go through verse 12. Let's back up to verse 8 again. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul is using himself in this text as an example. Timothy, don't be ashamed, but share in the suffering of the gospel. Share in the suffering of the, the gospel by the power of God. And then he talks about the power of God and how He saved us and He's called us to a holy calling. Not because of works that we have done, verse 9, but it's through His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And what was, what was before the ages began, the purpose there has now been manifested through the appearing of Jesus Christ, verse 10, who's abolished death and brought life and immortality through the light of the gospel to which Paul, verse 11, is a preacher. Because Paul is a preacher, he says, the reason in verse 12 why I suffer as I do is because I'm teaching the gospel. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I have no need to be ashamed because I know whom I have believed. But what does it mean? I know whom I have believed, but what is Paul saying in this text? This is first and foremost, Paul is not saying in this text, I know that God is. I know who God is. But what Paul is saying in this text is, I know that God can be trusted. That I can put my complete and total confidence in God. Look again at verse 12. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard into that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul's trusted in God. He trusted in God to keep that which was committed. Talk about what the committed thing is in just a second. But I want you to think about that for just a second. He trusts God to keep that which was committed. This is not simply just a belief in God, but this is a complete and total trust that Paul has in God. I am convinced or persuaded, Paul says, that he is able to keep that which has been entrusted to me. But what does it mean? This thing that is committed. The New King James, the New American Standard, and most translations will say in this verse, he is able to keep what I have committed unto him, to him until that day. The ESV says, that he is able to, to guard that which has been entrusted to me. Has Paul been entrusted with it, or is Paul doing the entrusting? So that as the New King James puts it, there is what Paul committed to God. That's the first theory, probably the most common theory that we find. 
that it is what is talked about in this text is, is that something that Paul has entrusted to God. Most often it is believed that it is the soul. Barnes writes in his commentary on this verse, that, that is, about the phrase, and in persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him, the King James says. That is, this is, I'm reading from Barnes, the soul with all its immortal interest, a man has nothing of higher value to entrust to another than the entreaties of his soul, and there is no other act of confidence like that in which he entrusts the keeping of that soul to the Son of God. And then he goes on and gives his argument and gives more detail to his argument. Learn hence the religious consists in committing the soul and care to the Lord Jesus, that it is great and invaluable treasure which is committed to him. It is done by the true Christian with foul most entire confidence, so that the mind is at rest. And that this act of committing the soul with all its interest to the Savior is the true source of peace and trials on life. Barnes, what Barnes is pointing out in his commentary on this text. So, so, so what's being talked about is Paul has entrusted his soul to God to protect and to guard it. The other theory is, one I believe is true, is that God is what God has committed to Paul. Let's take a quick look through the text, just real quickly. Whatever happens in verse 12 is Paul is suffering, but he's not ashamed because he knows that he can believe, he knows whom he has believed and is convinced that if he says he's able to guard into that day what is entrusted to me. Based on the text, I think it is the gospel. Backing up to verse 4, he's talking about not being ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, but share in the suffering by the power of the, by the, the gospel, by the, for the gospel by the power of God, verse 8. He's made the point in verse, as he's talked about this power of God and how he saved us and called us, we all saw earlier, that in verse 11, or verse 10, that he brought life and immortality to light through, through the gospel. And Paul says in verse 12, or verse 11, that he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, for which that is of the gospel, he's appointed a preacher. And that's the reason he suffers, but he's not ashamed because he knows whom he has believed, and that he's able to guard what was entrusted to him. If you have an English standard or a New American standard, verse 13 and 14 are part of the same paragraph. Some translations have them as separate, but I think the thought continues there. Pick up in verse 13 with me. This is now what he's telling Timothy. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So in this text, he tells Timothy to follow the sound words that he's heard from Paul. And then in verse 14, the ESV says, to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The New King James says, keep. It says in verse 14, the good thing which was committed to you, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. BDAC says it is to carry out the centennial functions. The idea there is that it could be to keep, or the word is rendered guard, but he's told to guard or keep that which was entrusted to him. It's a form of the same Greek word that's used in verse 12 when referring to what is, then what is done, that it, what is entrusted to Paul or by Paul. Same Greek word, a form of the same Greek word appears in verse 14. So the text, I believe, is indicating that Paul is saying, I trust God 
who has committed with me the teaching and the preaching of the gospel, and he's given me his word to teach and to preach, that he's going to guard and protect his word, and that no matter what, I can trust that God's word is going to remain the same, even in the midst of trials and in the midst of persecution. God's word is not going to be changed. I can trust what was entrusted, that God is going to protect what was entrusted to me, no matter what happens. But, but, well, we have the two theories here. The point, one way or the other, is ultimately the same. Whether you read the text and you say, I think it's that Paul has committed to God, or whether you read the text and say, I think it's what God had committed to Paul, the point is ultimately one and the same. That is, Paul had trust in God that God was able to guard whatever this was. I am convinced that he is able to guard into that day what has been entrusted to me. Or guard what I have entrusted to him. Ultimately, whether it is us entrusting God with our soul, or God entrusting us with the teaching and the preaching of the gospel and giving us his word, ultimately, whatever it is, the point is the same. God is going to guard it, and because of that, we can know whom we have believed, and we can have trust in God. And so that's the whole basis for the reason that Paul is not ashamed. Is he knows whom he has believed. And we need to know whom we believe. That we can trust God. That it will be exactly as God has said it will be. That we can trust God that He will take care of us. He will protect us as long as we are trying to serve Him faithfully. We can trust God that He will protect His Word. That no matter how much error is taught, no matter how many people try to attack the Word of God, we can put our faith and trust in God and know that ultimately His Word will stand. And that it cannot be changed by the attacks of men, but it is still the inerrant Word of God. So we need to have the faith like Paul, the trust like Paul, that he knows what he has believed. In fact, this is the very reason Paul is able to endure suffering. When Paul is coming here to the end of his life, in verse 12, he says, the reason I suffer as I do is because of the teaching and the preaching of the gospel, verse 11. But even though I suffer, I'm suffering, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And when we know whom we believe, we can endure suffering just like the apostle Paul did because we can put our faith and trust and confidence in God that in the end, everything will be okay. I know whom I have believed. What have we seen so far? We've seen the goal. The goal is do not be ashamed. Oh, Timothy may have been ashamed when Paul comes to the end of his life. It could be that we could become ashamed. Maybe we're not willing to stand up and to suffer. Oh, not that we're not willing to teach the Word of God and tell others, but we're, we come to the point that we are afraid of suffering and maybe we, we hold in, though we don't have a spiritual gift like Timothy, that we don't use the gifts that we have. We'll become fearful. Then too, we are ashamed. We see the reason not to be ashamed is we know whom we believe. We know that we can put our faith, our trust, our confidence in God that it will be exactly as He said it will be. But let's talk about the results. What are the results of knowing whom I have believed? This entire text is inseparably linked. We, cannot, we don't have to be ashamed because we know whom we believed. And there are some things that will result when we know whom we have believed. First and foremost, and considering our study, probably the most obvious is that when we know whom we have believed, we have no need to be ashamed. Think again about the text and the argument that Paul is making. 
Timothy verse 8, you don't need to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me as His president. Chapter 2 and verse 15, do your best to present yourself as one approved unto God, a worker who has no need of being ashamed. But in verse 12 is what brings this point home. When Paul says, basically takes and tells Timothy, Timothy, all these things you could go through and you could suffer and you could go through all this. Timothy, I'm already going through that. Yet in spite of the fact that I'm going through all this, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Just like we're not ashamed because, just because we know whom we believed means the end result is we're not ashamed. Are we willing to stand for what is right? We're willing to stand for the truth. We have no need of being ashamed because we know that God will keep His Word. And just like Paul, we can stand back and say, I know whom I have believed, and because of that, I am not ashamed. Let's make sure we know whom we have believed and that we're not ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. I'll tell you a second thing. When I know whom I have believed, I can fight the good fight. Go to chapter 4. I'm going to spend the rest of our time in 2 Timothy 4. Paul is summarizing at the end here. Paul is talking about himself. Paul is the one in chapter 1 who says he knows whom he has believed. He's the one that according to verse 12 is not ashamed. Let's see, what t- well, let's see the reaction of Paul as he comes to the end of his life. There are three very key things we'll see in 2 Timothy 4 about Paul near the end of his life that were a result of him knowing whom he had believed. Number one, he fought the good fight. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Really, all three of those are a result of knowing whom we have believed. When we believe in God, we will... When we believe in God and we obey the gospel, we begin to fight the good fight. We begin our race. But what Paul is not saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is, I have for a little while fought the fight. Or I have for a little while ran the race. Or I have for a little while kept the faith. When we know whom we have believed, it's not just that we start fighting the fight. When we know whom we have believed, we're going to fight the good fight until the very end. Here is Paul, a faithful servant of God for many years. Someone who gave up at the very beginning when he first obeyed the gospel, very much power, maybe even riches. A man that at the beginning when he obeyed the gospel may have eventually had a seat on the Sanhedrin Council and he gave it all up to obey the gospel at at first. And we always talk about what Paul gave up at the beginning, and rightfully so. These, these I count as loss or rubbish, Philippians 3 tells us. But let's think about all the things that happened to Paul after he obeyed the gospel. It's not on the board, but I want you to turn me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know the chapter well, or at least this portion of Scriptures. 2 Corinthians is a book that we're not as familiar with as the first epistle to the church at Corinth. There are a few select passages that we are very familiar with, such as the thorn in the flesh. And we're familiar with the passages in chapter 4 and 5 about our sufferings. 
But I want you to notice 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is one of those few one of those passages in 2 Corinthians we're very familiar with. I want you to look beginning at verse 24. Let's back up to verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Paul is defending, just as a quick side note, he's defending in this last half, in 10 through 13, he's happened to defend his apostleship before the Corinthian brethren who are calling him into question. So he's making the point about all these that are servants of Christ and, and he's having to, as he said, reluctantly boast about himself to prove the point that he's an apostle. But I want you to just notice in verse 24 as he's making this point, all the things he's gone through. Four times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me of my anxiety for all the churches. And you think about the list of things that Paul went through right there. And, and, and as we go through trials and tribulations in life, and, and at times as, as things get difficult, we, we may consider giving up. Maybe as things get difficult in life, we begin to question if it's really worth it. Here's Paul, who received five times the forty lashes less once, beaten with rods three times, stoned once, three times shipwrecked. Here's a man that talks about his frequent journeys, he's in danger from rivers and robbers and his own people and Gentiles in the city and the wilderness. All these things that Paul went through. But because Paul knew whom he had believed, he endured it all, and he continued his fight. So when he came to the end of his life, he could say, I have fought the fight. You're sitting here this evening, and as, we, as you listen, maybe you're thinking, I'm fighting the good fight. But we could be fighting the good fight now. Or we could be running the race now and eventually give up. In verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's a man that he would be considered a rather minor Bible character, a man by the name of Demas. We only hear of a few times, but Paul has spoken in times past very highly of this man Demas. But in verse 10 it says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas gave up the, the working with Paul and he left, having loved the present world. You think about people that maybe you have known that have fought the fight and somewhere along the line things got difficult and gave up. As we sit here, we need to evaluate ourselves this evening and ask the question, not am I currently fighting the good fight, but am I willing to fight the good fight into the very end just like Paul did? Fight the good fight, even if someday it may mean my life. When we know whom we have believed, we will be willing to do so. Pick up with me at verse 8. 
I know whom I have believed. Here's a result of knowing whom I have believed. Number three, we find in verse 8, there's the crown of righteousness. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, knowing that he had fought the fight to the end, knowing he had ran the race to the end, knowing he had kept the faith to the very end, knew that he had the reward of the crown of righteousness. There's something that's very unique about the race that we run. It's very unique about the Christian race. If you've ever watched in the Olympics or anything like that, there's only ultimately one gold medal given out. Even in the Olympics, only three people will receive a medal. Gold and silver and bronze. The way athletic events are, is you, you, you can only have one true, true winner. Tell you right now, just the other day, they started the college basketball tournament. And when they play the national title in a couple of weeks, in the end, only one team will win. They started with 68, and in the end, they're going to end up with one winner. Let me tell you something about unique about our race as Christians. In the end, if we serve God faithfully and we run the race to the very end, we can all have the reward. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul doesn't say he's the only one, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. As many as are willing to give their lives in faithful and devoted service to God, they can have the reward. As many as run their race to the very end can receive the prize. Are we running the race like we should? Are we efficiently and effectively running the race, the Christian race? If we are, then we know whom we have believed. And no matter the obstacles and the difficulties that come in running this race, we know that we can endure to the very end because we have the reward, we have the crown of righteousness. But I want to point out to you just one more thing in, in 2 Timothy 4. Drop down to verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, Paul talks about his first imprisonment, his first defense. And my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. He's talking about his first imprisonment, his first defense. But, verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul needed to teach the gospel to those that were lost. Paul points out, and Paul has pointed out time and time again how he's there to preach the gospel. He points it out again here in verse 17. He was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord delivered him the first time that he might proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. So because God was with him, he was delivered the first time. But I don't want us to talk about the first time. I want us to notice verse 18 and notice the second time. Before we read verse 18, I want to remind you of verse 6 of the same chapter. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. Paul is already fully aware that he is about to give his life in service to God. With that in mind, let's read verse 18. 
the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to think about that for just a second. Paul is very much aware he's about to give his life because of his service to God, that he's about to die. Yet he comes in verse 18 and he says, the Lord will deliver me. Not that Paul was going to be delivered from death, but Paul knew he would be delivered from all this wicked world. He would be rescued from every evil deed and brought safely into the heavenly kingdom, not from death, but by death. Because Paul was a faithful servant of God, death was nothing that he needed to fear. Because Paul knew whom he had believed, when he came to the end of his life, he was very and very much aware of it. He said, I will be rescued. I will have my reward because I have served God faithfully to the end. What a comforting thought. If you're here and you know whom you had believed, and you were told that you were soon to lose your life, we could have the same comfort as Paul because we know whom we have believed. But if you're here and you don't know whom you have believed, you don't have that same comfort and that same hope. Why would you not want to believe, know whom you have believed? Put your faith and trust fully in God, a life and service to Him. Here's what we've seen this evening. I know whom I have believed. The goal was that Timothy needed not to be ashamed. The reason he didn't have to be ashamed was that there's no need to be ashamed as you know who you have believed. That is, you put your faith, your trust fully in God. And we've seen the results of that. We don't have to be ashamed as is already pointed out in the main point of our original text this evening. But in chapter 4, as Paul comes to the end of his life, he points out there's no need to be ashamed because we fought the fight, because we have the crown of righteousness, and because ultimately, whether from death or through death, the Lord will deliver us. All because we know whom we have believed and we put our faith and trust fully in God. It may be that there is present one or more this evening who have never responded in obedience to the Gospel. If you're here and you've not responded in obedience to the Gospel, you're not guaranteed of another opportunity. What is our life but a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away? If you're here and you believe in God, you believe in God and you believe in Jesus Christ, and are you willing to repent of your sins, to confess your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism, to rise and walk in a newness of life, having your faith and trust fully in God, knowing that no matter what comes, that you can withstand. Maybe you're here and you've done that and you've obeyed the Gospel, but somewhere along the line you say you've not lived as you needed to. That sin is of a private nature, take it to the Lord privately in prayer. But if of a public nature then if you'll come forward, we'll pray with you and for you for God to forgive you. No matter your, what your need is, if we can assist you in any way, would you not come forward together? We stand and we sing.